Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jinky to the Max, a podcast where we talk about awesome projects and the even cooler creators who make them. Today on the podcast, we have a prolific space blogger, uh, Hans Yu. I'm glad you could be here today. And uh, before that, we got a, a few things. Uh, first off, we always record all these episodes live in the, in the server. So hop on at 10 a.m. PST. Also, I, we're in the middle of a game jam, so... Um, I guess I don't have any. I'm so used, I'm so used to yeah. I'm so used to saying uh, giving an announcement for that. I'm like, oh wow. <laughs> of course, we're in the middle now. Studio <laughs> is is my fantastic co-host Glavin. Hello, welcome everybody to the show. All right, so tell us a bit about yourself, Hans. Uh, know you're you're a financial analyst at SpaceX. Kind of like get a little bit of your journey, how you got here. Yeah, of course, I'd love to. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, so as you mentioned, my name is Hans Uli. I'm from, from San Antonio, Texas. Went to UT Austin, graduated with a degree in finance in 2018. Uh, and I started working actually at an investment bank in New York called Evercore. I did that for a year and a half, working on mergers and acquisitions. And then uh, a couple months ago, I got the call for my dream job. I uh, I applied for SpaceX to be a financial analyst, and I got hired. So I started in December, and I've, been, uh, I've definitely been loving every bit of it. It's bit of a, uh, a change of pace from what I used to do in New York, but it's extremely meaningful and I'm super happy to do it. I'm super happy to be here. Definitely been a lifelong space fan. So being able to put space and finance together is kind of a merger of my two uh, life passions. No, no, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, you're, 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 you're a huge space nerd. That's coming from a space nerd right here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what are, what are some of the things that you are most excited about that you see, uh, in the near future for, in the space sector? Yeah. Like what, um, I, I really, you know, as someone who works for SpaceX, I think one of the most exciting things is to see the, the growth in the commercial aspect of the space industry. You know, for, for many decades, right, since since the founding of NASA and the space age, a lot of what's been done is just, you know, governments shilling at huge expensive contracts to a couple contractors without any real competition. But now we, we're seeing, you know, the beginnings of a real space economy where private enterprises can compete according to free market enterprise and, you know, compete for the lowest cost. And I think that that's going to be crucial to opening up space for the larger percentage of the population. And I think that uh, we have a lot of opportunity in that space to really bring down costs. Yeah, no, and th- yeah, that, that, that's huge. Especially, uh, one of the things that, uh, I think our first guest for this series that we're doing on space, um, mm-hmm. with the, with the advent of a commercial, is paved the way for it's it's brand new but open source space mm-hmm. technology for small sats, and and hopefully it'll go bigger as as time progresses. But yeah, no, that is a huge thing. Very mm-hmm. happy about. Uh, what, what about some problems, some hurdles? What, what do you think might like get in the way of, of advancing more into space? Yeah, I think one one piece of like the space ecosystem that people haven't paid as much attention to and definitely need to is governing the rights of private enterprises uh, with assets in space. So what I mean by that is, you know, the the basis of space law is the famous 1967 Outer Space Treaty signed by multiple nations, including the U.S. You know, one of the stipulations was that it governed that no nation can claim, you know, a part of space for themselves. So, for example, like Neil Armstrong can't claim the Sea of Tranquility for the United States. Um, but, you know, that, that, that treaty did not envision the rise of space enterprises, right? So, you know, 50 years later, you know, if a company goes and claims an asteroid for itself for mining, is that legal, right? So that's, that's a hurdle right. that people have to figure out. 
Um, and, you know, it, it may require revisions to the Outer Space Treaty. Um, in fact, just like a week or two ago, President Trump was like explicitly encouraging American companies to utilize space resources, which, um, you know, I think is a step in the right direction, but, you know, could, of course, upset other actors in the space industry like China and Russia. So that's something that has to be figured out before we can truly, uh, you know, um, monetize space. Yeah, I never thought of that, but that, that, that is so true because you need to have like a governing body to mm -hmm. be able to enforce these rules. And without that, that there, then yeah, it's kind of a, kind of a wild west of. Sure is. That's exactly a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> so exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, so how, I mean, one of the things I, I really liked about your story is that you're, you're a financial analyst, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're not a, you're not like a you know a STEM guy. You aren't an engineer, uh, but you still worked your way into the into the space industry. I, that, I know I, I find that that really good. Cool. What are some other like aspects that are do you think they're often overlooked in the space field that 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 don't require like the engineering or the the, the classical approach, if you will? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a good question. So, uh, you know, I think that you know, especially for a space company, right, the business aspect is going to be every bit as important as the actual engineering. So. Uh, you're absolutely right. I have no engineering, no formal engineering background. Uh, all my, all my math and science that I do is either self-taught or dates back to high school when I write my blog, <laughs> which is kind of funny. <laughs> uh, my, my, my AP, my AP uh, chemistry teacher would be proud. But, um, you know, other fields that are, I think, just as important to, to the development of the space economy is, um, one that I think is super important is supply chain management. So one of my mm. best friends from middle school actually also works at SpaceX. Uh, he, he works for, for the Starlink division in Seattle and his major was supply chain management because if you think about it, you know, the engineers are not able to build their stuff if there's not a, a vast logistics team to make sure that everything is shipped to the right point at the right time uh, and at the lowest cost, right? And that's an important thing right. to consider, you know, eliminating this kind of inefficiency um, so that the engineers can do their work. So that's one there. Um, SpaceX has a good marketing team, right? They, they do a good job of mm -hmm. getting the word out. Uh, and, and they have a great team. naming team. Like whoever comes up with the names of them, oh my goodness! It's yeah. like oh, <laughs> makes me so happy. <laughs> and then, and then we even just talked about law, right? So you know, these are all non-STEM fields that are going to be crucial for the development of the space economy. Yeah, part one of the the, the themes of, of this podcast is that you know there's a lot more to the space industry than, than, than like rocket science and mm -hmm. like, because we have all these predefined notions of what, what space should be like. And, mm -hmm. and the reality of it really comes down to being a little bit different than what people initially think of. Yeah, for sure. People don't <laughs> imagine that an investment banker could be a big space nerd too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of one of the things, uh, I kind of learned when getting into like uh, just the solar industry. That's that's why I do for my uh, line of work. You know, people just think, okay, solar panels. You just slap some solar panels up on a roof, and like you're good to go. And it's like, well, no, there's, yeah. there's a whole lot more to it than that. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. It sure is. <laughs> you first have to duct tape them to the roof, and then. <laughs> well, you got like, well, uh, kind of like uh, Hans here. You have to have the financial, a lot of financial uh, things going on that have to work <laughs> at very tight parameters of making sure that you have the supply to make sure that you have enough panels to make sure that they arrive at the job sites at the right time in the right quantities uh, mm -hmm. having the proper you know the sales team or growth team or uh, I guess in your, in your industry more just like the 
you know, client facing or what the public perception is to be able to right. really make sure that people know, you know what you are and be aware of what you have to be able to offer them. Mm-hmm. So what, what exactly, so when you say financial analyst, mm-hmm. I immediately, my mind immediately goes to like analyzing uh, startups and companies for like mergers or acquisitions or something. Mm-hmm. But I take it that's not what you do. Unless SpaceX is going to start acquiring a lot of companies. <laughs> no, what you described is a better description of, of my old job, actually. So, you know, college, you know, for business students, one of the most common routes is investment banking, uh, mergers mm-hmm. and acquisitions. So, uh, funny enough, I covered the healthcare industry at my core. Um, so if you think of investment banks, you know, we're talking things like Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, or in my case, Evercore. You know, we helped companies you know, do mergers and acquisitions. We help them either sell themselves to buyers or acquire other companies that they were interested in. Uh, We helped companies, you know, go public. We helped companies raise equity and debt. So that was more along the lines of what I did at my old job, uh, Mm -hmm. something more capital markets facing. What I do now for SpaceX is much more like corporate, traditional corporate finance. So uh, things like I do a lot of like internal spend analysis. So we do a lot of work analyzing the spend of our different engineering departments um, burn rate. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. So, you know, our lives are governed, you know, my life now is kind of governed by a monthly cycle of forecast and actual spend against our forecast and analyzing how we can, you know, have cost cutting initiatives, how we can save money and how the business is doing from an operational and financial point of view. So, you know, it's kind of a difference of something market facing and client serving versus internal and cost focused. Okay. So you're kind of like the budget guy. That's right. Yes. So it's it's definitely uh, an adjustment, uh, but but still along the lines of what I did, and, you know, and what I'm prepared for. Yeah. And yeah. So, so since you're you've done like startups and business acquisitions, what like do you see any like golden opportunities that will be arising or have arisen in the in the space sector for startups? Uh, like where, like where do you see like a lot of growth that's going to be happening in the near future? Yeah, yeah. So, um, as far as I know, SpaceX has never done an acquisition. And unfortunately, even if one were in, in, in the works, I wouldn't be able to talk about it. Right. <laughs> in general, in general, though, like aspects of, you know, there, there's a, there's a lot of pieces. When people think of the space industry, they, you know, people think of the most visible part, which is the launch services, right? You know, the Falcon right. 9 taking off, you know, cool videos and stuff like that. But there's, there's a lot of parts that go into it, right? Buyers that go into, um, go into building a rocket, right? And mm-hmm. SpaceX is pretty well known for building more of their materials in-house versus like a traditional aerospace company like a Boeing uh, or a Lockheed Martin. So in theory, you know, if you have a crucial supplier that builds a, a part of your rocket um, and, you know, you're tired of, you know, trying to outsource this and, and, and pay the markups, you know, in theory, it may make sense to acquire that company. Um, there are also, you know, up and coming pieces of the space industry that didn't exist even 20 years ago. So we had briefly talked about like small sats, cube sats, and, uh, that, that, that sort of aspect of small payloads. Um, that's definitely up and coming, especially given the improvement in electronics. So, um, that could be an interesting point of, of, uh, of, of growth as well. So I'm sure that, you know, the higher ups at SpaceX keep an eye out for these things. But for me, uh, it's a little outside of my purview, unfortunately. It would be <laughs> exciting to work on it, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, it's, 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 I think we're, we're coming up to this brilliant new age where, yeah. um, where, yeah, where, where people can, um, you know, build their own satellites, make their mm-hmm. own. And, and it's, you know, like, like, I, I don't know what the costs are for, uh, launching small sets in, in space. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the benchmark I like to use for for small sat launch is Rocket Lab. Actually, Rocket Lab is is a is a really strong. In case you haven't heard of it, it's a really uh, uh, strong like new space company that they they have the Electron rocket, which is a dedicated small rocket dedicated to launching small satellites. So if you ever look up a comparison of the Electron versus the Falcon Nine, you'll see it's way smaller, but serves a different uh, you know, field part of the market. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, because like I, I've heard things. Um, and the last guest on the show, he, he was actually working directly with it. With um, I was saying, like, yeah, SpaceX was was testing. What was it? Where they didn't even have a deployer for their small sats. They just kind of mm-hmm. like bounce, bounced around. And... Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, colonization. Uh, that, that that's a, that that that's a, it seems to be a, a popular topic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what what do you um what what are your thoughts on it like like a lot of people are like you have the you have the two groups it seems like you have the 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 people are like oh no this is this is something that that won't be feasible for the next seventy years or whatever <laughs> and then you have the people are like oh we're gonna do it and by the end of the decade or something. yeah yeah like yeah. What, what are your what are your thoughts on that yeah so uh you know my 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 supreme boss Elon uh. He, he's he's known for setting ambitious targets. That's definitely for sure. Um, but my you know my personal opinion on on the future of humanity and, and the prospects of colonization, I agree that I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. I think mm-hmm. that we will you know oftentimes if you shoot for something, you'll up along the way that you wouldn't have otherwise realized, and that you know our species as a whole will benefit from it. Um, this I guess kind of falls along the lines of that that you know that that. That quote that you hear, aim for the moon, even if you miss, you land among the stars, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think it's definitely, it will definitely be a challenge. Um, but I, I, I don't, you know, I don't see anything that would be completely unsurmountable given our existing technology, right? All of the, all of the technology we need to send material in humans to Mars is more or less present already, right? You know, we've, we've invested in things like the space station, international space station to understand the impacts of long-term space flight on the human body. And we've proven that humans can endure a year plus in space uh, and still survive and function. Right. It's so given that the mission to Mars, a mission to Mars one way is six months, right. We should be able to send humans to the surface where they can live and work uh, and, and survive. Right. We have, mm-hmm. you know, advanced technologies knowing how to uh, uh, endure life support. Right. You know, 50 years ago, we kept people alive on the moon, for three days in a tiny lunar module with modern technology and more investment. We should be able to do the same for a larger group of people for extended time. Um, so I think that it's, it's, it's definitely doable. It would be a worthwhile endeavor. And, you know, it, if you fa- if you look at the challenges facing earth today, I, I think that people are right in that humanity is better served with another human outpost on a different planet, right? It comes to the question of whether we see ourselves as an enduring species or as no better than the dinosaurs. Oh yeah, for sure. And the, the, the paradigm, and also, I feel that if we have the ability to start maybe with terraforming and like building an ecosystem, mm-hmm. if you're going through all those challenges on another planet, I feel like that would help us immensely on our own. Yeah, I, I think so. The technologies that we would develop would be great for solving things on Earth, like climate change, for example. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so definitely challenges, but definitely benefits that would come of it if we decided to make the investment. Oh, for sure. So on, on your blog, mm-hmm. um, all of all the variety you have, like you, you got <laughs> yeah, for you sure. got stuff from like uh, quantum physics to 
like the financials and stuff. Yeah, space finance, yeah. astrophysics, you know, all the fields that I feel like are impacted by space. So it's, this is the project, my astronomical returns is a, you know, it's a play on words from my two passions. And it's a project I started around a year ago, like when I was still working at investment banking. Basically, it kind of just started as uh, my fellow analysts would always hear me talk about, you know, crazy topics in space and how excited I was. And they told me, you know, you should just turn this into something, right? Share it so you can share it and we can learn. So that's kind of how it was born. And I kind of just ran with it and haven't stopped ever since. <laughs> nice. <sighs> it's it's definitely oh, fun to, to share my, my passion. Um, and I'll, I'll, it, it helps me learn a lot more about space too. It helps me be more knowledgeable. So it's, it's, it's a good... It's a good pastime. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I actually found Kyle probably... a lot of the same in some of the works that I do where I looked at, uh, I write science fiction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I like to That's write awesome. hard sci-fi, so I like to make it as scientifically accurate or plausible as possible, which requires me doing a lot of research into different things. Like right. I noticed like on your blog, you had uh, the ion drives, which yeah. are super exciting for me. I love reading on those. <laughs> yeah, that was a ton of fun. <laughs> so, like, you learn a lot of things along the way just from being creative, which is really awesome. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I think you. Or is, is it me? Or are you, are you guys coming out? I cut out on that one. Yeah. Could you repeat that? Who on me? Yeah. yeah. Oh goodness, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I was saying how basically. I, you learn a lot just from being creative and doing research into the thing that you're trying to kind of get an idea of what you're wanting to make. No, I totally agree. And part of part of what I actually discovered and enjoyed was a fun part, but also a challenge of writing the blog is how important English is actually in, in conveying ideas across. I uh, I kind of realized that I once heard you know Apollo 11 astronaut Michael Collins talking not about the importance of engineering, but the importance of English because he said he's you're listening to incoherent engineers who couldn't express their ideas. So kind of taking that in stride, you know, it, it's helped me improve my writing in a way that conveys, you know, difficult topics in a way that's fun and concise and, and approachable to the average person. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic job. <laughs> yeah, you. for sure. I actually read a couple of your articles before the show started. And it was yeah. <laughs> super awesome. And well, well explained. And you even have links to like some other YouTube videos that kind of better explain or, or in a visual way of like, like specifically how like uh, the ion drives work, for example. Yeah. yeah or to yeah. talk about the alien <laughs> pandemics, which is another thing that's really neat that a lot of people don't think about. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it alleviates fears of of alien and of alien pandemic when you realize that there's almost no chance that any Martian microbe could ever infect us because we didn't evolve together. So exactly. these, things, these common sci-fi oh. tropes you realize, you know, maybe don't make that much sense anymore. But it's kind of fun to let people's imagination run wild. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> that's, that's right up your alley, Glavin. <laughs> it is. I actually address this sort of thing in one of my, in my uh, sci-fi setting. Sarah, <laughs> uh, so, speaking of like uh, alien extraterrestrials, aliens, well, what are your thoughts? Like, are you of the of the opinion that they just simply don't exist, or that if they do exist, it's a bad thing, or if they do exist, it'd be a, like the best thing ever? Or what are your, what are your thoughts on the, on the matter? Yeah, uh, on whether aliens exist, uh, it, it's a question that a lot of people have asked me since they know I'm a space fan. It, it's for me, honestly, it's like like many other people who have applied their mind to it. It's it's not an easy question to answer. Um, mm -hmm. I'm kind of more along the camp 
of if I had to pick a hypothesis, my, my best hypothesis falls along the camp of even if they exist, we're not able to comprehend them. So this is the the example I kind of give is that, you know, we consider the second smartest beings on the earth as like chimpanzees, right? And we differ from chimpanzees by DNA percentage of about two percent in our and we consider chimpanzees smart if they can do sign language and multiplication, right? But try right. as we might, we could never fully reveal ourselves to chimpanzees, right? If you show them a car or a rocket, they don't comprehend it, right? It's just beyond anything they can comprehend, and they don't realize are. If you think about it going 2% the other direction, right? You know, maybe some alien species thinks that we're entertaining because our smartest human beings can do quantum physics, but, you know, they're, you know, they're just unable to reveal themselves because our feeble minds are unable to comprehend it. So maybe they're here and evident, but we just don't see it and can't understand. That's my that's my personal best guess as to why we haven't. Who knows, right? Maybe they're yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, that's a good. Yeah, I, I remember hearing this video on um, silicon-based life forms. Uh, yes, silicon yes. might theoretically be basis for life forms. Yes, that would be super interesting. Uh, I believe that. Oxygen, or, or maybe, I think, oxygen and silicon, I think, are part of the same group on the periodic table, so that would be super interesting, right? They would be chemically similar. No, no, I think it was, was it was it oxygen or was it carbon? Or carbon, maybe, yeah, one of those, yeah. That would be super interesting, and people consider. Or another 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 hypothesis is that, you know, just as our life forms on Earth are water-based, you know, life forms on other worlds could be methane-based, you know, taking the example of Titan and Saturn's moon. That'd be really cool. That would be cool. They have oceans of methane on Titan, right? Maybe life has formed in those oceans. Yeah. So, so uh, of, of all the uh, the planets and, and mm. like objects in the in the solar system, what do you think would be the most beneficial, most interesting to to find out, mo learn more about? Yeah, yeah. I think so. People, you know, Mars always gets all the all the news and all the headlines, right? But right. I think that people have very much overlooked some of the moons in the solar system. So. Two examples I give would be Europa for Jupiter mm. and Enceladus with, with Saturn, because both of these both of these moons have large quantities of ice and water probably beneath the surface, and people don't realize how you know the, you know how much water could be housed in these subsurface oceans. And on top of that, being near these large planets like Jupiter and Saturn, the tidal the tidal forces and the radiation produce a lot of heat, right? And there's internal heat on these moons that could uh, potentially be a source of energy that would harbor life. Um, so, you know, if I were submitting proposals to NASA's decadal survey uh, for planetary science, I would love to see landers. Did you cut out? Yeah, I cut out for me. Did I, did I cut out? Yeah. Oh, there we go. You're back. Go. Ah! Yeah. What, what, did, uh, what was the last thing y'all heard? I was talking about Europa, and y'all asked me uh, to, you know, some of the worlds that I think would be most interesting. Yeah, and you were saying, uh, you were talking about Europa and la putting a lander on Europa. Yeah, Europa and Enceladus, I think, would be two great candidates for, uh, for, for landers for future NASA planetary science missions. Yeah. God, that'd be so cool. That well, why have it? Like, I feel like that's, I mean, a bit obvious. Like, has it, has it just not been the budget? Like, what, I mean, I, I mean, I understand Mars is important because we want to colonize it. Yeah. It's the closest to Earth, but. Yeah. I, I guess the question is, like, why haven't, more attention but another another planet i think would be interesting i mean be we really don't know that much about mercury or um mm -hmm. venus or yeah i mean there's just so many unknowns out there yeah so on the first point uh one of nasa's you know large projects that's under discussion right now would be the europa clipper um i don't remember if it's been approved if, if it's been approved yet but basically it's a proposal to 
use the space launch system to launch a, uh, to do multiple flybys around Europa. I do know that there had been uh, proposals for a lander, but I don't think that that was approved. They didn't have funding for that. But there is a Europa mission under under works that would use space launch system, and I think would launch sometime in around 2025. Um, Mercury and Venus have always been painfully overlooked. Uh, the last mission mm -hmm. to Mercury was Messenger, which ended in 2013, I believe, uh, when it ran out of fuel. But that was that was an interesting, good mission. Um, I think Bethy Colombo has been launched by the the European Space Agency and is currently en route to Mercury. Um, Good. Yep. So Mercury is getting some love. Venus, uh, unfortunately, has been quite overlooked as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, only a couple, I think only two landers have ever landed on the surface of Venus. And both of those were, were Soviet, not even Russian Soviet. So that just goes to show how old they are. <gasps> Wait, oh, wasn't wow. there, like, successfully, because I remember, uh, wasn't there, like, some lander that NASA launched that, like, burnt up or something that, that like it only lasted for two seconds and then it sent one it, photo and then yeah yeah on the surface i think it was venera 13 um it's basically if you look at the pic it's this huge super like pressure resistant metal pot and and they sent it and it, it worked for you know it, it worked for a reasonable amount of time i think like an hour or two and it was enough to transmit pictures but of course it eventually got obliterated by venus's horrendous atmosphere but it's, Wait, so uh, how did it, it, how did the Russians do it then? <laughs> how did the dead they, they you know the Russians they, they their um, philosophy of space probes is to throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. So they just you know launch a bunch of stuff. Some of it works and whatever works they take. So it's kind of you know they have a very different philosophy, which is sometimes results <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, oh, that is really interesting. Yeah, it's yeah, there's. There's there's so many like unknowns with the solar system. I think we we get, we get so enthralled with Moon and Mars, and which is I mean, fair enough. I love Moon and Mars; it's fantastic. But but we we overlook some of the like other just like we just know so little about the solar system. I know. I mean, so little. My my, my as a sneak peek for you guys, the next article I've been preparing for for astronomical returns has to do with Uranus and Neptune because you know it surprises people that you know after all this time only one probe has ever reached uh, Uranus and for Neptune and it was Voyager two back in the eighties. So since then nothing has visited Uranus and Neptune, and still the best treasure trove of data we have on these two planets is from this thirty plus year old probe. Oh wow! Yeah, it's time for so an update. <laughs> Every clear picture, all those like pictures you've ever seen of Uranus and Neptune, are probably taken by this one probe that's all distant worlds. That, that's I feel like that's just sad. I mean, yeah, it is, isn't it? it? It gives you it gives you hope for the future, but also kind of sad on how little we we progress. Uh, that's why that's why we need yeah. more funding for this program. <laughs> yes, for more sure. Funding. More funding. More funding. More industrial. More, more SpaceX's more. And one of the things I love about, I think I love about SpaceX. We were, I think we we're talking about this maybe in the after show. Is that uh, SpaceX is sort of like the first space unicorn, and, mm -hmm. and you know it's starting to pave the way so that uh, angel investors and venture capitalists would be like, oh hey, you know you can actually make money in space, and you know it can be profitable, and you know you can, you know you can do these things, mm -hmm. and it, so it kind of like opens up the door. So that you know, other other companies uh, can c come in and, and make some significant advances. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's that's you know that's the first step that we all who you know those of us who enjoy space and finance you know all want to see for the for the ecosystem and for the industry um, because investor capital is really the basis of 
of new startups, right? People have to have confidence in order to make the investment. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, One of the uh, the phrases I like to tell myself is that as you know, I let the engineers debate what the best rocket fuel is, you know, methane, hydrogen, RP1. But as the finance guy, I know that the best rocket fuel is cash. <laughs> Wait, I like what? It. <laughs> you cut out like right when you said I the said, word. I said the best rocket fuel is cash. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's, my, that's my guiding philosophy. <laughs> hey, it's, it's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> make, you should throw that on t-shirts and sell some merch on your blog. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day. But I think when we make astronomical work, I'll do that. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, oh no, that, that is that is really cool. Yeah, I was gonna say too, like this one of the things I've sort of noticed about certain scientific advancements, especially like in the space sector, was like you can't just do something just because it's cool. It has to be profitable. Otherwise, mm -hmm. no one's gonna be able to want to fund it or try to make that project actually happen. Mm -hmm. So, like, you bring up mm -hmm. a very valid point there. With you have to do kind of pick and choose your battles and do things yeah. that are definitely going to be a return on investment. Which I mean, you kind of want anyways, right. just so that we can continue to do more projects along those lines. Yeah, I uh, I know for a fact that one of the engineering philosophies at SpaceX is they have a term that's called what minimum viable product. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, MVP. Yeah, MVP, minimum viable product, where they they're like you know. Let's get something that works now. They have, you know, they have a very iterative process as to how they build and design their vehicles. So let's get something that works now. Let's see if it launches. You know, let's let's prove proof of concept, and then we can iterate again and again and improve and you know fail along the way and see what works and see what doesn't, and then we can produce something really great. That's that's a, I think that's a solid philosophy for a company that is a normal company and needs to generate revenue. That's how you have to. And I think it's a it's a brilliant philosophy. Yeah, no, I I believe that's that's taken out of the lean manual in Burke. I love, love the <laughs> 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 animal, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's just, I, I know, I, 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 I'm, I'm, su I'm such a huge fan of what SpaceX is doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, same. It's just, it's so great. It, it, it makes me so happy, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, it, the future was not what we were told it was supposed to be, but, but SpaceX, it's helping us get there, slowly yeah. but surely. Yes. <laughs> it, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's gratifying for me to, to get the chance to work for them every day. It's, uh, it's definitely great to true. <laughs> uh, that's huge. Um, okay. So, yeah. obviously, if you guys haven't already, check out Astronomical Returns. It is a fantastic blog. All covers all sorts of space topics. Easy to understand. It, yeah, it, it, it's great. And of course, uh, is it, there's other. Uh, you're you're in other social media, right? Uh, yes, I'm. I'm on. Um, so for astronomical returns, there's the website itself. There's Facebook, and then there's an Instagram page. So Facebook, I post the articles about every week. Instagram, I post every day. So plenty of content for y'all to digest. And you have some good space memes too, which is which is always important. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> It's turned out that all my, except for like Discord, all my social media just turns into giant meme aggregators <laughs> of different kinds. There are good memes out there. It just means that you're having fun doing what you love. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. And of course, we're we're on Spotify and uh, Pocket Cast, Apple, all, all the places, and and on YouTube. And thanks uh, for Nate for throwing these together and putting them on YouTube really appreciate that and we got a new intro he's been working on so thanks for tuning in uh, and uh, no matter what project you're working on remember to keep it 
Janky to the max.